What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 50 of the program for Monday, January the 25th, 2021. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many, many, many ways to find the podcast. If you're someone who listens just to the audio, you have Apple Podcasts, you have Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, you name it, you can find it in a million different places. If you happen to watch the video that goes along with the audio, you can head on over to YouTube in the search bar, type Matt Bernier Show, you get this episode along with the 49 prior. And in case you were curious, you head on over to the In The Money network over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com or the In The Money feed on your podcast platforms. You can listen to this show. You can listen to the flagship show, which would be the Players Podcast. You can listen to JK Plus One with Jonathan Kinchin. You can listen to the Redboard Rebind with Spencer Luganbuehl. You can listen to Talk Racing to me with Naomi Tucker. And you can also listen to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast with Acacia Courtney. Many, many pieces of content. And that's not including any of the written analysis for write-ups and races that you can find over there on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. And you can also sign up for In The Money Plus and get plenty of other goodies that go along with it. Speaking of the Redboard Rewind, Spencer Luganbuehl will be on this show doing the Friday feature. The Friday feature for this week is Oaklawn's seventh race. If you want to be in Spencer's position next Monday, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you are correct, I will contact you. We will set up a time to record next week. Also speaking of the Redboard Rewind, uh, I was a guest on Spencer's podcast this week. So if you haven't already, head on over there, subscribe, rate, review the whole nine as you always do, uh, because you guys are always very good about that sort of thing. And give a listen. We talk about four of the races on the undercard of the Pegasus World Cup down at Gulfstream on Saturday. We also discuss just some random things, handicapping, uh, how I got into the the business and and a number of different things come up. Some anxieties that I have about the work and, and TV and things like that. So uh, all in all, just a fun, fun podcast. Head on over, listen to the Redboard Rewind this week and every week for that matter. Uh, before we get to the Friday feature, and I, I'm, we're not going to do a deep dive as far as the uh, $500 challenge is concerned. We had a couple more winners uh, this past week. There were short prices, though. And again, it just goes to show, despite the fact that you have winners, if the return on investment is not spectacular, you're still going to hemorrhage money away. So I think we're down about 30% right now, 35% somewhere there, thereabouts from the $500 challenge. I feel like next week will be a good week to sort of, I, I don't want to say hit the reset button, but I'd say kind of get a, a grasp of where things stand uh, a few weeks into the challenge. So that is on deck. Uh, and I will also allude to something coming up this weekend that you're going to want to stay tuned to. Uh, but first things first, let's talk about the Pegasus World Cup. I'm not going to talk much about the turf race. Colonel Liam looks like he could be spectacular, could potentially be a superstar, I believe is how Randy Moss uh, phrased it on the NBC show, which I have no reason to doubt that. I mean, he's been spectacular on grass. I thought he was a terrible bet given the field and the price that he was going to be given his speed figures. He really wasn't, he wasn't faster than any of them, to be honest with you. But in those instances, I would rather take those kind of horses at bigger prices, but I understand anyone that liked Colonel Liam and clearly you were correct. He won. We're going to talk about the dirt though. The Pegasus World Cup proper. And Nick's go, not just Nick's go, but Hidden Scroll and Brad Cox. Because this has turned into a hot button issue, or a hot button topic anyway. I'm not going to call it an issue because I don't think there is an issue. But I, I've had people, I, I tweeted yesterday, or earlier today, I should say, 
Hidden Scroll won a race at Oaklawn Park Sunday afternoon, I believe. Um, his first race since being transferred over to the Brad Cox barn for his new ownership group. And people are speculating about, you know, well, uh, the, the magic is happening again, which insinuates some nefarious things going on. So I had to see what I didn't watch the race. I was flying home yesterday from Florida. I had to see what, you know, I'm expecting to see some speed figure the way the people are talking that he ran off the screen. And then I take a look at it and I see the horse ran six furlongs over a wet track at Oaklawn, defeated a group of non-winners of three lifetime allowance horses and earned a 90 buyer. None of those are particularly offensive things, but the way people have made it out is that he went out there and and basically ran a race that would win the Breeders' Cup Sprint, and that could not be farther from the truth. In fact, it's the third fastest race Hidden Scroll has ever run in his life. He has earned two triple-digit buyers. This race was a 90, so pretty far from the fastest he's ever run. I I I hate that people operate in absolutes. Do you know how many things in life are actually absolute? Other than death, there's really not a lot. You're going to die at some point. But absolutes are few and far between. Because the horse goes to a different barn and wins first time out, that, does that immediately mean that something weird's going on? And if it wasn't someone who's had the year that Brad Cox has had, would people be saying this? I'm not saying yes or no, because I don't know. I try not to speak in absolutes because I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know these things. And many of you aren't either. And I don't mean that as a, as a slap in the face, but it's the truth. Nobody really knows or very few people actually do. To go lobbing out accusations about people in this business is a very, very slippery slope. And look, of all the times I saw someone tweet saying that the the industry insiders sort of poo-pooing the idea that these things could be going on after the past year take some stones. You're right. I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm not putting it down saying that it's impossible. But based on the evidence that there is, which right now I, I don't know of any. If there is, please enlighten me. I don't know of any overages or suspensions or anything like that. I have no reason to believe anything weird is going on. It's also an entirely different world to take a horse who clearly has ability in Hidden Scroll and get him to win, then take a $10,000 claimer who's a seven-year-old gelding and move him up 20, 20 buyer points. Move him up 10 lengths. That's not normal. This horse has always had some ability. Is he quirky? Sure. What does he actually want to do? Hell if I know. If I did, I, I'd train him. But I'm not a horseman. But to just sit there and say, well, he won, so something had, and, and then people come back and they go, what? Well, well, Bill Mott, he's a Hall of Famer. Well, he couldn't figure it out. He can't, clearly can't train, right? Sort of, again, insinuating that something, I don't know, did it help that this was the softest field he's faced since his career debut when he took on Maidens? He's been running in Stakes Company and N2X Company throughout his entire career. 
He drops into N3L group against inferior horses on a wet track, which he's now two for two on, and he wins. I just, I, I, I really have a difficult time. It doesn't mean that something might not be going on, but boy, you better have all your ducks lined up if you're going to throw out cheating accusations at people for two reasons and f- sort of flip side reasons. They actually kind of go hand in hand, though. You start lobbying, you start throwing out accusations about what people are doing. A, it hurts the people that you are accusing, especially if they're not actually doing it. And B, if you do accuse someone of doing that and they're not doing it, you're screwed. You're setting yourself up for a lawsuit. You're setting yourself up for a loss of credibility, all these different things. So when I get people coming back to me saying, you're saying this because you're, you work with TV and you got to save just in case there's an interview. Get the hell out of my face with that. That's BS. If you've listened to this, you've listened to anything I've done, I try to be as transparent as possible. I don't see anything weird going on here other than, look, he's got horses that are pretty talented. And just because this horse wins when he couldn't win with Mott, that, that means that there's, there's something bizarre happening. Well, now people want to spin it and say, well, how do you explain Nick's go? And how now Nick's go is three for three in this barn and he's won a Breeders' Cup and now he's won the Pegasus World Cup. Call me crazy. Do you think the tactics have something to do with it? I had thought this. I have a horse in mind. I'll, I'll bring him up in a moment. I saw Nick Tamaro uh, tweet something. Uh, about the idea of Nick's go being a confirmed sort of speed horse. I could not agree more. This is a horse, if you go through his past performances, keep in mind, and this is the other thing, people are talking about this horse like he was always a stiff. He won a grade one as a two-year-old. I get it, he was a million to one. He won a grade one as a two-year-old. You're not talking about a $15,000 purchase or whatever it may have been for, you know, I shouldn't say that. I'm not talking about a $20,000 maiden claimer that all of a sudden is is doing this sort of stuff. Are you catching my drift? See that connection? The maiden claimer to go off and, and do all that. This is a horse who has always had ability. Now, he hasn't always won, but I think a lot of that has to do with the way that he's been ridden and the distances that he's run. This is a horse that he each of his three runs with Brad Cox's barn... They haven't messed around. They drop the hammer. They go. Speed, fast. And guess what? Is that a surprise to any of you? That speed on dirt is the most lethal weapon that you could have in horse racing? You go to the front and you keep going. And with his old barn, and I'm not trying to throw shots at anyone, they tried to get rated paces or take him from off of it or go seven furlongs. Or try a mon- I think they tried him on grass at one point, if I'm not mistaken. The point is, he is a horse that it seems like you just got to go. It reminds me a lot of Game On Dude. Now, Game On Dude, yes, he did win at one point in his career very early on from slightly off the pace. But Game On Dude, when he was at his absolute best, if he didn't get the lead and didn't go fast on the lead, he was in deep, deep trouble. He wasn't going to win. If, if there's a scenario where Nick's go doesn't get the lead, I don't think he can win. But that seems very unlikely, especially as the distances get longer. 
And after the race, Brad Cox talked about the possibility of, you see the, the pedigrees by Painter. Um, I don't have the pedigree right in front of me. I can look it up, though. A mile and a quarter doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. And based on that, I don't disagree. Speed going longer is even more advantageous than it is going shorter. And I just, I can't help but think that perhaps this horse is one of those that it's just, you're going for broke from jump. They did. They tried him on grass one time. So I look at it and say, and you see these other half miles that he's run in these, these route races prior. 47 and 4, 47. Now you take a look at some of these races that he's come back. Yeah, he walked the dog in that Keeneland race. But otherwise, 46 and 4, 44 and 2, 46 flat. Open up. Use your speed. Now, again, could it? Could I be wrong? Of course I could be wrong. But there is nothing to suggest to me right now that something weird is going on. And I'm certainly not going to start accusing somebody of that. If, if news comes out at some point about someone, I will sit there and, and read it and, and take it in. But I, I think it's so easy for... Some of the keyboard warriors, and I mean, I, there, there was one guy earlier today who was just really, you know, giving it to me. And I go, what, for, I don't, I'm not going to waste my time with this anymore. You believe what you believe. That's fine. You might be right. I'm laying out the reasons that I don't think that's the case. But too many people are just set. No, no, no. This has to be it. It has to be it. The horse was no good before, now he's good. He couldn't win before, now he wins. It's got to be something up. Maybe there is. I have no idea. I don't think there is. And I'm certainly, I'm sure as hell not going to sit there and accuse somebody of doing something that I don't know that they're doing. That's how really bad things start to happen. I want to know what all of you think. Leave your thoughts beneath the video player on YouTube. Don't send them to me on Twitter because, frankly, there's a good chance that I'm going to tune out of Twitter here pretty quick. But if you're so inclined, at Bernie or underscore Matt, it's, I, I, I recognize it. And yes, everyone has the right and should when things seem a little bit off, a little bit of skepticism is fully warranted and, and probably should be a, a, a standby, should be a normal thing in this business, in any business. But you to, to start throwing that sort of stuff out, that stuff sticks. And you better you, you better be damn sure before you go saying stuff like that. I have no reason to think that right now. And I'm certainly not going to accuse anybody of anything nefarious. I think this is a trainer who has very, very good horses. He has Judmont as a client. He has a number of really well-bred horses. And guess what? He can get them to win kind of doing a little bit of anything. But for the most part, he's got route horses. For the most part, they have speed. It's not a stunner to me. He's a good trainer. If it was the end-all, be-all, and everything that he touched turned to gold, why didn't Mandaloon win by 10 last week at the fairgrounds? 
Riddle me that. Why did that one not work? But these ones did. I, I just, I, I don't like when people talk in absolutes. When you don't know what the story is. We can speculate, but speculation leads to a lot of bad things. You can have your opinion. We all are entitled to it. But to sit there and say that people need to start saying this, that, and the other thing, that's insane. You don't go on the news and just start saying things as if they're true. You don't accuse somebody of it, especially if you're a news outlet. Or you're someone who you, you're, you try to take yourself seriously. If you're a keyboard warrior with 15 followers, and I don't mean to begrudge anybody who, or downplay anybody who's got 15 followers. But the point is, if that's your prerogative, that's your prerogative. Do that on your own time. But I think these two instances that we're talking about, Nixco, I think, is very much Game On Dude-esque, where you just got to bottom out the field. And guess what? I maintain. If he doesn't make the lead, I don't think he's going to win. I think he absolutely has to have it, and I think he has to go fast. And with Hidden Scroll, what are we doing? He ran his normal race. He happened to do it against worse horses at the lowest level he's ever run against other than his career debut, and he won. Is that a shocker? He didn't, he didn't earn a, a buyer of 120. He earned a 90, the third fastest of his career. Let me know what your thoughts are on the Pegasus World Cup, Pegasus World Cup turf, any other action from this past weekend, hidden scroll, whatever it may be, beneath the video player on YouTube. And again, if you really want to, you can send it over. I'm on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt, but it just, it, it, I'm stunned at the amount of people that are so, so confident in certain things when you look speculation, I get it, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and accuse somebody of something that I, I don't believe they're doing and I have no evidence that they have done it. That would be irresponsible. If you want to be irresponsible on your own time, that's up to you. Let's position, position, let's transition into the Friday feature. Let's talk about some racing. Let's bring in one of the good young minds, I think, in the game. Spencer Luganbuehl from the Redboard Rewind. We're going to talk about Oakland's seventh race on Friday. You want to be in Spencer's position next week. Leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. A feature time for January the 29th, race number seven from Oaklawn Park. To help us out, we bring in the host of the Redboard Rewind over on In The Money Media, Spencer Luganbuehl. Spencer, how are you? I'm good, Matt. Glad to be here. Excited to be covering Oaklawn some more along with my writing duties over at In The Money. I was going to say, I saw that this weekend. So is it going to be sort of every day that Oaklawn is running or just a weekend type of thing? I think it's going to be every day for the most awesome. part. I'm going to try to, uh, I haven't done a lot of writing in a long time. Usually it was for Scott Shapiro back in the day and uh, Dan Torchman, but now it's going to be for in the money. Excited to, uh, you know, kind of refocus in on some writing after doing the podcast for a bit. Now, is there a specific piece that you typically kind of lean into as far as writing when you're handicapping? Do you go through, is it a sort of a full card analysis? Is it picks? What do we, what should we expect? It's going to be a lot of full card. If I kind of get jammed up on time, I might just pick the late pick five or early pick five sequence. I did that on Sunday. I went three for five. Thanks a lot, Hidden Scroll, for calling. <laughs> um, but no, it's the full card analysis to me is something where you can really teach someone. And from being on the bet squad for so long, it, I might go, you know, only two for nine that day. But if my two winners are, you know, $10 winners, I'm going to be positive for that day. And, you know, 
everyone wants a winner every every single race, but sometimes you just need to realize, oh, if I go one for nine or two for nine and have the right horse, you can be positive within the day. You brought up Hidden Scroll, and, and I talked about it at the top of the show, uh, just my overall thoughts on Hidden Scroll and, and Nick's go, but let's just stick to Hidden Scroll here because he was part of the sequence that you played. Was the result a stunner to you um, in hindsight looking back? Is it something that you you look back and say, I should have had that? Or is it one of those things where you said, look, the horse has never passed a parked car. He just might not be that good, and he's way over bet, and I'm going to fade him in here. What was your overall thought going in? And now with a day or two to reflect, what do you feel about it? So I've talked with a bunch of people, obviously, Nick's go and Hidden Scroll. And with those types of horses, like I kind of bring up, you know, Bodie Express is another one that I wasn't really a big fan of. When I see those types of quote-unquote pet horses that I know a million people will just bet based on the name or anything like that, I usually just toss automatically, especially with one like Hidden Scroll. Hadn't really done much. I understand that, it, you know, now being in Brad Cox's barn, like after what he's been going through, but I said the horse will be three to five. We just saw last week uh, Brad didn't have horses run really well in the stake races over at fairgrounds. I'm like, I'll, if he's going to beat me, he'll beat me. If I can somehow get through, I'm going to be alive to a nice little pick here and hopefully, you know, not get lucky, but I just, I'm never going to play those types of horses when I know that first of all, and this is nothing, you know, to go off on a tangent, but the odds line this, this weekend was terrible at Oakland. Marshall Graham brought up something about it. I think hidden scroll was like five to two on the morning line. Everyone knows that he's going to be six to five, something like that. So it's just something like that where I know that I'm, you know, not going to get anywhere near the number. I'm going to fade that type of horse. And I think it's one of those things, too, especially if you know that the public is going to be hot on that horse. And if you can either fade because of that reason alone or because you genuinely don't like the horse, you have a major advantage if you can get through that and beat that one. And to your point, I, I, I mean, frankly, I didn't look at Oakland a ton this weekend just because I was down in Florida. But I believe I saw at one point that the morning line favorite went off at like 14 to one in one of the races. That that seems a little egregious. No. Uh, it's kind of almost the same thing. And listen, uh, I play golf stream, you know, a ton during the winter. It's I I'm almost now to the point where I'm not handicapping with morning lines anymore. I'm just in formulator. I turn them off and I just see where I can go. First of all, it helps me making my odds lines and try to become better in that faction. Because when you see a horse, you know, what, uh, the other Brad Cox horse that won the, uh, the Swarney Jones was five to two on the morning line as well. I'm just like, he's going to be four to five. I'm going to try and get lucky with Cohen. And it's just, it's almost teaching bad practice for beginners having to look at the morning line now because they think they're going to get, you know, seven or eight dollars on a horse. First of all, they don't realize that they're not getting the morning line on as a fixed odds thing that the odds can go up and down. And it's just I, I think that almost that part of the job specifically has to be done much better. I agree with that. And I mean, I, I've talked about it here in this segment before with folks who have come on, especially folks who may be a little bit newer to the game as far as, you know, we, we do this so far in advance for the most part. Oakland draws early, a, a track like Fairgrounds draws early, but many times we have no odds. We have no actual post numbers. Um, it's one of those things where you try to start to, to tell people or, or instill in people the idea of, you know what, I, I don't want to really factor that in. Let me be the one to make the decision about what I think about any given horse. Then they go from there. Don't get swayed one way or the other because of a morning line, when in reality, the morning line is nothing more than an individual's opinion of what the off odds are going to be. It really doesn't mean a heck of a lot in the grand scheme of things. So I think that is something for folks, if you've never done it before, try to handicap without the morning line and see ultimately when you're done with it and you assign odds or, or you kind of put your picks together, Compare and contrast. 
what the morning line looks like compared to what your picks look like. And then again, when we go to post and see what the odds look like at that point. Let's talk about the seventh race down at Oaklawn here. It's non-winners of one other than on Friday afternoon going a mile and a 16th. You know, the morning line favorite, and again, we just talked about this, how who knows what that actually means, but a horse like Accession to me, and, and without going too far into the weeds, you know, he's just the kind of horse that I'm always terrified of betting or using at a short price because of his running style on dirt. If this was a turf race, maybe I would think differently, but his running style, he is truly a one-run closer. What are your overall feelings of horses like that and Accession specifically? I mean, specifically on dirt, you want you want to look for speed. You know, we hear J.K. talk about it all the time. Even even on turf for someone like me, everyone's so deep closer in class. Well, I've seen so many five-and-a-half turf sprints where everyone still thinks like, oh, yeah, it's got to be a deep closer. And then yet a horse goes 22-46 and wins in the front end. It's not even so so much the fact that he's a one-run closer. It's Santana Asmussen. He's 0-for-9 on a, a regular dirt track. He's, you know, 3-for-3 three hitting the board on a wet track. I think he needs a wet track to possibly do well. And the race two back at a mile and three sixteenth was a 90, but that's kind of the outlier number. He had the 95 in the rebel, but that was on a sloppy track. I just, this horse is going to take money. And I don't want anything to do with him. If you're a time form us uh, user, if you use the pace projector, uh, they have the number six out there on the front. That's a Taka, a first time stretch out for Wayne Lucas's barn uh, pedigree wise. I don't think it's going to be an issue. Union rags about 13% with the dirt routers. Uh, this one has siblings that are three for 10 going a route of ground on dirt. Having said that, I don't know if the horse is quite good enough. Then that leads you to that sort of second flight. You have horses like the one substantial, uh, the three totally Jimbo, the four beaver hat in there of that second flight or even a horse like a Taka. Uh, is there anyone in there knowing what we just talked about, how you like horses who are going to be more forwardly placed on dirt? Uh, any of those horses do anything for you in a spot like this? A Taka is going to be one that's interesting to me. Uh, I like the fact that the workouts have been fantastic of late. Although something that you do have to look at is there was a bullet work before that last dud of a race. So maybe workouts aren't such a big deal with this type of horse, but I know with, you know, Lucas, he always seems to pop up with one. Maybe that's the one early on in the meet that we could possibly get a little bit lucky with. Totally Jimbo's another one. I mean, he ran second to the 18-time winner, Blackberry Wine, if you go through all of his DQs from last year and such like that. Just one that I think will be forwardly placed. And I really like the fact that there is, you know, 280 such buyers in there. So it's not just, oh, the 195 and then a bunch of 70s. He has shown the proficiency to, you know, run a couple big numbers. Beaver Hat, for me, is always going to be a favorite. Uh Benny South Street gave him out on a, the Daily Gallup, uh, not a podcast, but with a live show with Marshall Sterling. And we, whenever we see him run now, me and Marshall Sterling just laugh and we play around with him. But I think he's going to be one, again, that might also like maybe a wet track a little bit more. The race two back, the 85 was a solid number. Came back and ran second in that first time allowance at uh, Churchill, but the number dropped substantially for me. So a horse I'm really interested in, I think is going to be Guided Missile. I like the fact that you see uh, the slow progression, obviously the 79 win first time out under the motto, but now uh, Calhoun's got him on 72 and 83 and you see that top big buyer. And now you have a nice workout afterwards. And in all the old school handicapping books, they talk about nice race or big race and then another big workout. And it kind of, the uh, overall logic of it is, well, he didn't get uh, over the top in that last race or else he wouldn't have had such a good workout. So, I think a uh, guided missile might be the one that ends up on top for me, if not possibly totally Jimbo or Atoka.
I think with guided missile, you can also factor in potentially that not necessarily that he's dirtied up as far as his overall body of work is concerned, but you go to that two turn route most recently at the fairgrounds, I would say far and away the best race of his life, despite the fact that he didn't actually win. He was wide on both turns and still rallied very well. You go to the run two back, six furlongs, probably entirely too short for a horse like this. And then three back, his first time going around a ground, he caught a sloppy sealed track. So I think you can excuse the runs two and three back. Maybe that most recent start is a harbinger of things to come for a horse like Guided Missile for Brett Calhoun's barn, five to one on the morning line. You know, I really quickly wanted to go back to a horse like Totally Jimbo, who we did touch on earlier. Are you ever concerned, despite the fact that he has the highest last out buyer in the field with an 88, highest last out raw time form U.S. rating with a 107, and you brought up, he ran into Blackberry Wine. The third place finisher came back and earned an 81 buyer in the next start as well. But the fact of the matter still remains, his only victory to date came at six and a half furlongs. Is there any concern with you with a short price who maybe hasn't shown that they can do something necessarily? You think they can, but without knowing for certain at a short price, is that ever something you factor into your handicapping? I think knowing, and this is all about knowing your circuit. We know a horse like Blackberry Wine. We know he likes to win, whether he's, you know, quote unquote, whatever. And the fact that it is the highest last out buyer, uh, not one of the buyer books. It's one of the DRF books where they say the last out highest buyer wins three of 10 races. That's 30%. Obviously the ROI isn't good. And this one being, you know, seven to two, if we can get something like five to two, three to one, definitely worth a play. But when you see, someone that has, like you said, one at six and a half. I like the fact that the next time on the route, it was a higher buyer. So we just, it seems to tell me that he can't handle a route of ground. Now it just depends on who he's up against. Now this could be a really interesting betting race because again, morning line, notwithstanding, this could be an instance where people know the name accession and he gets more than he should, as far as money is concerned from the public. And that could obviously create a very appetizing betting proposition. Uh, Spencer, it sounds like you are most interested in the number five guided missile. Is that where you're going to go in the Friday feature this week? I believe so. Number five guided missile, number five guided missile, five to one on the morning line. Spencer Luganbuehl is going to go with him in the seventh at Oaklawn. If you want to be in Spencer's position next Monday, you need to leave your selection for this race beneath the video player on YouTube. If you are correct, I will contact you. We'll make something happen as far as next Monday's show is concerned. Spencer Luganbuehl, thank you so much. And we should direct everyone over to the Redboard rewind for this week. I'll be on there, but every week talk to the people, let them know a little bit about the Redboard rewind if they're unfamiliar with it. So this is an idea that came up uh, a couple of years ago at Saratoga. I was actually talking to Duke Matisse and I said, I'm so sick and tired of on my way to Saratoga. I do the hour and a half drive every day and it's stakes, stakes, stakes every Monday, Tuesday, all that stuff. I said, why don't we talk about claimers and, you know, allowance races? And uh, he goes, that's a great idea. And we stopped talking. I go about my business. Pete calls me up. He goes, come up to the veranda next day. We're going to talk about this podcast idea. I'm like, oh, okay. So uh, pretty much what my podcast is, we kind of turned uh, every handicapping book you've ever read into kind of an audio form. We try to find angles that we have learned throughout that can kind of help out going forward. Obviously, uh, this week we're going to be talking Pegasus. Next week, I already have my guest. It's going to be a Curtis, Curtis from the Racing Dudes. He is the host for the Magic Mike podcast with Mike Samich. And we're going to be going over Santa Anita. So just uh, come in, ask questions. I'm going to try and do some more questionnaires for uh, listeners who want to hear stuff from me and uh, my guests and uh, go from there. And where can folks follow you on Twitter? It'll be at Handy underscore Capper. Awesome. Spencer Luganbuehl, thank you so much for the help. And again, if you want to be in Spencer's position next week with the Friday feature, Oakland Race 7, leave your selection beneath the video player. There you have it. Wrapping up episode 50 with the 
Redboard Rewinds host Spencer Lugenbuehl, race seven at Oaklawn on Friday. If you want to be in Spencer's position next week, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you have thoughts about anything that's gone on over the past few days in horse racing, again, beneath the video player on YouTube, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt and feel free to send things along. Um, may just be filtering some things from here on out, but that's, you know, we'll address that in days to come. Uh, but all in all, I, I thought th the weekend was really strong. I thought we had some solid racing. You potentially have some some new up-and-coming superstars, and, and those are the sort of things, specifically with the three-year-olds, that, that are exciting and that get you excited to keep coming back and opening up the PPs and seeing what these horses could turn into down the, down the line. So... I think I think there's a lot of positive things to pull from this, but man, it's um, it's an interesting time. We'll leave it at that and um, see what happens in time, because that's that's the only way that we'll find out what ends up transpiring is need to let some time go by. But that's that uh, episode 50. Appreciate all of you for listening. However you listen. Uh, thank you for doing so. Please rate, review, and subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you're on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. I appreciate it. If you're over on YouTube, again, search Bar Matt Burney, your show, you get this episode along with the 49 prior. Thank you again. Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be. Please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, I'll be back next Monday with episode 51 of The Matt Burney, your show. Until then, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. <laughs>